I'm Phil Rickaby, and I've been a writer and performer for almost 30 years. But I've realized that I don't really know as much as I should about the theater scene outside of my particular Toronto bubble. Now, I'm on a quest to learn as much as I can about the theater scene across Canada. So join me as I talk with mainstream theater creators you may have heard of, and indie artists you really should know, as we find out just what it takes to be stage-worthy. If you value the work that I do on Stageworthy, please consider leaving a donation either as a one-time thing or on a recurring monthly basis. Stageworthy is created entirely by me, and I give it to you free of charge with no advertising or other sponsored messages. Your continuing support helps me to cover the cost of producing and distributing the show. Just four people donating $5 a month would help me cover the cost of podcast hosting alone. Help me continue to bring you this podcast. You can find a link to donate in the show notes, which you can find in your podcast app or at the website at stageworthy.ca. Now, on to the show. Lindsay Middleton is an award-winning actor, writer, and creator. She will be playing Catherine in Riot King's upcoming production of Suddenly Last Summer by Tennessee Williams. Kathleen Welch is a director, performer, and writer, and the director of Suddenly Last Summer. In this conversation, we talk about the play, performing in front of an audience for the first time since the pandemic, writing, and so much more. Here's our conversation. Lindsay, Kathleen, thank you so much for joining me. Um, would one of you like to tell me and give me like the elevator pitch for Suddenly Last Summer? Sure. Um, I will. Uh, so Suddenly Last Summer, it's um, a one-act Tennessee Williams play. That it is sort of this Southern Gothic kind of unsettling family drama is how I would describe it. Um it's it's all set uh, in and amongst this go- this outdoor garden, um, and uh, as the play unfolds, the audience sort of discovers the kind of deep inner secrets of this very distorted kind of family dynamic and um, the sort of horrible things underneath this kind of beautiful exterior. That sounds like it's a little up your alley, given the Samka connection, all that sort of stuff. You're sort of seem to be drawn to these darker themes. Yeah, absolutely. Like, um, this play, is, it's not a horror play by any means, but it certainly delves in in a kind of horrific way. The um, the text is so beautiful and it's very poetic, but it, it, it deals with horrific things that happen to multiple characters in the play. And it definitely... It is meant to unsettle, I think. Hmm. What the, I mean, I think a lot of times when we think about Tennessee Williams, we think about cat on a hot tin ropes. We say, think about specific things. We don't tend to think about um, unsettling plays, although I do think that that's a theme of his. 
Um, what what is it that sets this apart from other plays by Tennessee Williams that that people might be more familiar with? Um, I think it's more that it, it delves further with it. I, I love other Tennessee Williams plays and um, like a streetcar named desire I've done twice. And I think it deals with those things. It's just, it's a bigger scale play and it has other elements as well, where this one is kind of intimate and really, really focuses on sort of the most disturbing parts. Um, yeah, it has a lot to do with mental health as well as um, sort of horrific older medical practices that went on at that time. Um, and all of those things kind of do exist in the other bigger Tennessee Williams play plays. Um, but I think this one, this one just takes it that much further. And that's really, really the focus. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Lindsay, what is... First of all, what is your role in this play? Yeah, so I am playing Catherine Hawley, which was played by Elizabeth Taylor back in the day. So hashtag no pressure. I was about to say no pressure at all. Okay, no pressure. I have not watched the movie. We have decided as a cast we might watch the movie at like a rap party kind of thing. I don't think anyone's watching it currently. Maybe people have watched it in the past. But anyway, I play... Um, I play a character that kind of knows the truth to this big secret that this family is trying to get locked down. Or she knows her version of the truth because, as we've discussed a lot in this show and in rehearsals, there's a lot of different versions of the truth. And I think a really exciting thing for the audience is you get to sit back and kind of decide who is telling the truth. You want to be telling the truth. It's, um, there's, some ambiguity within all these stories and all these connections and who's using who for what and manipulating what to get what. And all these characters have such clear objectives. And mine is just telling the truth. And even though she doesn't want to, it kind of overpowers her body in a way. Hmm. And also she has some assistance through some other means to get the truth out. Truth can be an agent of chaos, though, sometimes, can't it? Oh, heck yes. He is a full agent of chaos. She is. There's a lot of chaotic people in this play, but there are a lot of means that other characters are going um, using to silence her. So I think she might win for most chaotic. (laughs) What is it that that draws you to this play, Lindsay? What, what, What appeals to you? I have always wanted to do a Tennessee Williams show. I've never done one. Um, So A, that as soon as we read this play back in the cold, cold, frigid February when everything seemed so quiet and simple back in the day. And now it's it's here, which is very exciting. So that and then this character is undoubtedly the most challenging character I've ever worked on. Um, she has been through the most horrific, unimaginable things uh, that I would never wish on any person. So diving into the the trauma and the stakes for this character is challenging. It's difficult. It's intimidating. And that's really exciting to me. I woke up yesterday yesterday. And my very first thought was, I cannot wait to go to rehearsal. 
because like we're unraveling this mystery of everyone and everyone's motivations. So it's just, it's really exciting. Uh, one of the things that is is always fascinating about about a play is is the way that it's chosen to be staged, um, and there's a transformation of this space that you guys are performing in. Uh, uh, Kathleen, do you want to talk about about this space and 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 what's happening with this space for this show? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when we were initially planning on doing this, I always sort of envisioned the idea of of using a lot of natural light. And it all takes place sort of in this garden, um, but on a patio and somewhere in between being fully outside and being inside a house. So when Brendan and I, who's producing this, were looking around for spaces, I was really looking for non-traditional theater spaces just because most theater spaces don't want to let in other light. You want to control all the light that you have. Um, And I kind of wanted the feeling of, you know, the audience as well as the actors being inside almost a greenhouse kind of feeling. Um, so we we visited a bunch of spaces, but we ended up discovering this uh, photography studio, which they've never had anything theatrical happening there before, and they seemed really excited about it as well. Um, and it's got such beautiful natural light, which they use for photography. Um, so we're able to, you know, bring our plants in. They have windows and actual um, glass door that leads out to a real garden. So the actors can enter through this garden and we can have this sort of liminal space in between being inside and being outside. And because it's in, it's being performed in August, we, even the evening shows, they start at seven. Um, we should have a lot of natural, you know, sunlight throughout all of our performances, which I'm really excited for. We're going to enhance with some other lights in the space as well. But um, yeah, I, I'm very excited for that. I was going to say you could only ever get that in at this time of year. So, yeah, you, winter would be something entirely different. No, the play doesn't suit it. When we initially wanted to do it, I was like, if we can't have time this summer, we have to wait for next summer. It's just a very hot play and yeah. it just doesn't work in the winter. It's so weird to think about because, you know, I've been in New Orleans. I've been in New Orleans in October and I thought it was one of the hottest places I ever was. So. Um, it's, it's hard to imagine like coming in from the cold in January or February and like having to pretend, oh yes, it's so hot here, just even for your audience members. So definitely a summer play. Um, now Kathleen, I'm, I'm wondering about, you know, you, you've been involved with, 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 uh, with Samco, which we talked about last year, which is a, a horror play. This play is, um, a little darker um, as a director, what what kind of themes does does this play into themes that you are are generally uh, 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 drawn to, and uh, and what is it that particularly sparks you about about directing this play? Yeah, um, no, I, I've loved this play for a long time. I discovered it when I was in high school, um, and I just loved it, and I thought it was so weird and bizarre um and i think like when we we talked about samka samka is uh, a more extreme version where it's taking things that are real experiences people have but taking them to a, a folktale fairy tale horror level this play also in some ways does that because it's it is a family drama and it's real things that sort of happen to people but it's 
it's magnified to an extent that is almost almost surreal. And the garden is is kind of part of that. It like the stage directions when we were reading through it the first time, they're beautiful, but they're so extreme of the idea of these like plants that are eating things, these carnivorous plants and sounds of the jungle are are there. And for a lot of these characters, they're their sense of reality is very warped. And so they kind of enter into this dream world, uh, like Lindsay's character definitely specifically, but but all of them change their own realities and they view the world through a through a very kind of terrifying lens. And for me, uh, as a director and, and as a writer and actor in general, I, I love putting on plays like this because I honestly don't, I don't know fully what I feel about it. Like I, I finished this play and I don't know what he's trying to say other than this need to get it, get these dark, terrible things out there. Um, and I think that's really exciting as a director and, and hearing the thoughts of the cast on it, like just talking through how different everyone's perspective is because it's it's really not cut and dry. There is certainly something about um, not particularly knowing for sure what a play is saying that can be ripe for these great conversations during rehearsal, after the show. It's kind of exciting to have that possibility where you're not spoon-fed what it's quote-unquote about. Uh, Lindsay, I'm, we were talking a little bit about the heat and we're talking about how, how people come in with this particular sense, um, particularly hot and humid weather, which is something you would get in, say, uh, New Orleans, um, can really have an effect on, 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 on the way that you see the world and the way that, 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 that you interact with other people. Uh, you can fray the edges of your patients. Um, how does that play into uh, the way that you're portraying this character and how does it affect um, how you relate to people? Mm -hmm. It's so interesting. You just said, fray the edges of your patients. And in this show, there is a doctor. I am his patient and I am fraying my edges and all the characters I would say in this show are slowly we're watching majority of them unravel and there's a lot of you know we come from wealth this is a very wealthy family and there is a lot to cover up there are a lot of different spaces there is um a veneer that is put on top of everything and it all starts to just unravel and the heat is definitely part of that i mean you just lose yourself and it's sometimes these hot days we've been having this last few weeks um i was just in a heat wave not that long ago uh in europe and, I, and you just kind of lose it and i think that just adds to the energy of everyone on the stage feeling what's happening and even the audience as well we're actually going to have fans for sale so that everyone can join in into the garden party and just be there with us and and the whole space transforms um the audience experience uh the whole way through is going to be very exciting and living in that garden party opening night is a garden party phil so, oh really yes we hope you and everyone comes of course of course um now the audience is going to be surrounded by the garden and the garden party um and that's not something that i think that 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 we get a lot in in theater usually the the set and the setting sort of stops 
at the edge of the proscenium or of the playing space. But this is something something more than that. Um, and that sounds like it's going to affect both the way that, well, most of the way that the audience interacts with it because they're sitting in it. Is that, uh, that's obviously something you're going for. And, and what excites you about that? Yeah, uh, something, uh, certainly uh, Brendan, who's our producer and um, he's the founder of, of Riot King and stuff that really matters to him, I know, um, is is having that kind of immersive and, and multi-level experience that's not just one kind of art form. So for instance, for us, like uh, uh, an important an important part was also utilizing artists uh, that we could bring into the space that sort of also feed that feeling. So uh, we have three artists, I believe, and um, a florist coming in for opening night, which we're very excited about. It should be like selling bouquets. And they're all inspired by the sort of plant life in it and the idea that the whole experience when they're watching the play is one thing, but when you come into the space to begin with and you're able to chat to other people and be a part of this sort of, again, garden party kind of aesthetic and and transforming that beyond what is just the confines of the play. Yeah. And this only has like a week's run, right? This is only available for people to see for a week. So, um, and I, I imagine given a space like this, there's a scarcity of seating. So if people yeah. want to see something like this, they should probably get their tickets soon. Yeah, we only can maybe fit about 40 people per show. So, uh, wow. yes, we're definitely encouraging people to buy early, especially if there's, you know, only one or two performances you can attend. Yeah, for so, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, um, it's been a while since uh, people have felt um, comfortable being on the stage or have been out able to be on the stage. Lindsay, I know this is like your, this is your first time being back on stage um, in like the three years of the pandemic. So mm. do you, do you, have you felt a little rusty about the, the acting? Like it's taken like a little bit more to get the, the acting like muscle back? It's so interesting. So yeah, March 12th, 2020, I was doing a tour and I was on stage that morning and then in the afternoon, we got a message saying, hey, we're on pause for two weeks. And that tour never resumed. And then I was supposed to tour another show in the summer. And that tour, also, that should never even happened. So I have, yeah, not set foot on a stage to perform. I've done some Zoom stuff. But this was um, my first jump back into something that I used to do three shows a year, sometimes four, something like something that was a muscle that I knew how to work so well. So I was definitely curious of how quickly does this come back? And I think, number one, I'm just enjoying it so much more. I don't know what it is of just, it's so exciting, perhaps because it's been so long. I'm finding memorization isn't as easy as it used to be, I think, because if you're used to learning fake scripts, maybe it's just Tennessee. Like, oh, it's not. And maybe it's this character. She's a bunch of kind of, her brain has been through a lot and there's a lot of non sequiturs happening. So after this, my whole evening is just going through an eight-page monologue and Ooh. kind of trying to make myself less nervous <laughs> with that and all. 
because yeah that's the first thing is me as an actor i like to just get the text in my body in my body in my body as quickly as possible and then you can just start playing with it and just you have so much more time to discover then so yeah it's been a very um enjoyable return with a, a tinge of fear when it comes to all, all these lines yeah yeah i remember last year i did a solo show at the at the the fringe festival in uh, st st john new brunswick and i have to say that that um, i also found learning lines um incredibly difficult after like three years away from it um i struggled almost halfway through my run to actually be like okay i've got this i've got this so it's this is a thing it's a thing yeah. but it felt like the first time i got i was in front of an audience it felt weird but also good but weird you know yeah, no, i cannot wait for that first audience show to feel just them like that is my favorite thing as a performer when you either feel like you have them or you don't have them and you have to get them back and it's that energy between all of them and hearing them realize certain things at different times like the liveness of theater i have missed so much and i cannot wait to fill that space and see those fans and just have everyone going on this journey with us now kathleen this is you were on stage more recently with Samka, right? And and, yeah. and other things too, yes? Yeah, I've been, but probably about a year ago, I was sort of going through the same thing of, you know, it had been so long since I'd done any any stage show and I would have again been like in the, I think I was in rehearsals for a show when the pandemic happened and I was doing stuff all the time, like too busy. Um, so then when I was able to come back last year, it was a whole like very thrilling and nerve wracking, but like, kind of relieving in some ways transition back into it um and even more than being in front of an audience being in a rehearsal space i know was like the most beautiful thing we did a workshop a week of workshop um in march last year and it was just coming out of like i hadn't seen anyone and just rehearsing with other amazing artists and hearing their opinions on things was just something I didn't realize that I missed so much and getting to explore in the space. Um, so yeah, that was a beautiful thing. And this is as well, it's been a lot longer since I've directed anything. So in some ways it was, it was more stressful, but very exciting to go back into it. It's amazing the things you don't realize that you're going to miss so that you could possibly miss, right? Like suddenly your, your rehearsal and performing is, is a thing that that you do every day and then all of a sudden it's gone and you don't realize all of the things that go into it that were so important to you. Um, for each of you, when you were, tell me about the first time in the rehearsal hall with other people. What was, what was that like returning to that room? Yeah, I'll start. And then, so our first rehearsal, because we started only last, not last week, um, fifth <laughs> We only started last week and we'd had a, a Zoom reading online, um, but it was in the middle of Fringe and two of our actors were in Fringe shows, which we knew would be an issue. So normally I would, you know, want our first rehearsal to be with everyone, but we couldn't do that. Um, and so we just focused on one scene that's between Lindsay and one other of our other actors, Jobina. And it was so beautiful and sort of soft and and easy. I felt like it was a kind of nice way to go in and it took the pressure of a full 
full cast rehearsal. And instead we started with argue like the nicest scene in it, which is not saying much because they're all really rough. But um, it was just beautiful. We we read through it and we and we talked through our thoughts about it and and brought it up on its feet. And it was it was also much simpler than I think my stress leading up to it was. And it all, yeah, that's that's what I would say. Nice. Lindsay? I think for me, we walked in, I said something to Kathleen along the lines of, I don't get it. I don't get what's going on. I don't know. I'm like all my own internal anxieties and things. And then, yeah, having the beauty of like, I guess not your traditional rehearsal start where you get everyone in the room and you have that moment. It was just Jabina and I. And in this weird way, Jabina is a bit of like, she's my ally, I would say, on stage. So to kind of have my first time back on my feet in a rehearsal hall and it's a scene where I'm building a relationship with Ally, I think in this weird art depicting life kind of way was the best way I could have gone back into any rehearsal room. And it just made everything so clear. I remember looking at Kathleen at the end of the show and I was like, oh, I get it now. It was like I just had to get back into the room and have clarity and shush all these other things and be like, oh, yeah, I see it. I, it's it's there now. I'm good. I'm good to go now. So it was fantastic. It was a great, great first rehearsal. That's good. That's great. That's great. Um, I want to drift a little way, a bit away from from this particular play and talk to you both about about yourselves as 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 performers, as artists. Um, Lindsay, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was something that's probably not related to theater, but I think it's pretty interesting. Um, your, your van life <laughs> and your, your trip, uh, it, through South America. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm a big traveler. Um, I got on my first plane when I was 16 and I promised myself I would get on a plane every year, once a year for the rest of my life. And I currently have maintained that life goal, which I'm very proud of. Even in the madness of 2020, I luckily had a trip booked in January before we kind of really knew like everything that was happening. And then in 2021, it was kind of when everything looked more open and things like that. So I don't know. I somehow managed to still maintain this. Um, but yeah, during a lot, of, I've taken a lot of time away from theater because I decided to go do a lot more extensive traveling. Um, I lived in a van for three and a half months um, with now my ex-boyfriend, but we had a great time and I will never disparage him. We had a great time. We did not break up because we lived in a tiny van. Our lives are different places. But yes, it was amazing. Um, we I learned how to rock climb when I lived in a van, which has opened a whole new beautiful part of my life. And then when I was living in the van, I very quickly had this weird moment where I was like, I need to move to Mexico. I just need to go do that. And I need to go write a book all about all these travels I've gone on because a big goal in my life was also to go to 30 countries before I turned 30, which I did. And then I've constantly had people in my... Kathleen, yeah, I did. I've constantly had people in my life say, how did you do that? How did you do that? Because I've funded every single trip by myself. It's all from just me wanting to go do it. And I kind of got to a point of being like, you know what? Enough people have asked me this. Maybe it's worth 
revisiting all my travels and writing a book about it and also just encouraging people to go do it too because I do think you can go do if that is what you want to go do I strongly encourage you I think it is the best education quote-unquote Mark Twain but it is I think the best thing you can do especially by yourself so yeah I took three months in a van then immediately went to Mexico Guatemala South America for seven months by myself, which was an amazing learning experience. And I can speak a lot more Spanish than I could a few years ago. <laughs> uh, how much Spanish did you know before you uh, embarked on the journey? So fun fact, during the pandemic, I promised myself as soon as I could, I would move to Mexico. So I currently have a 600 and something day streak on Duolingo. Oh, because I lost my 400-day streak when I was living in the man in the mountains. So I should have, like, I don't know, a thousand-day streak at this point. So I knew very little. And now I can eavesdrop pretty well on people. Isn't that the most important skill, though, with a language? It's not, not what you can say, not like, where's the bathroom, but yeah. eavesdropping on conversations. They get the gossip for yeah. the people on the street now. That's, that's what I basically use it for. <laughs> that's important stuff. That's important stuff. And, uh, um, you know, the the trip, the, like deciding to write the book, had you wanted to write a book before you did that? Or was it just like, well, I got to get this information out? So I have a bucket list that I started when I was, I think, eight years old. Um, and I found my little diary during the pandemic of my bucket list. And I had written like 18 things. I was happy to say I was able to cross, I think, half of them off. And one of those things was write a book. So I think it's all these things that for me, because and the pandemic was like rehab for workaholics. I had a lot of spare time to kind of, you know, read old journals and things that things I never do. And I think that seed was planted. And then we I did this seven day hike when we lived in the van. So I had no phone that functioned for seven days because there was no service. So my brain, I could literally feel my brain growing as I was doing this walk because I wasn't glued to my phone or checking emails or things like that. And all of a sudden, one day I realized as I was walking that I was just writing the book in my head. And then I was like, oh, this is why I need to go to Mexico. This is the, like, it was kind of like just all these connected dots. And then, yeah, I went and the book is still being written. Fun fact, it takes a very long time to write a book. This is, this is the fact. Yes. Yeah. I am very, um, you know, gusto with a lot of things, um, which is great, especially in this industry. And I thought I could write a book in three months. And let me tell you, it's now been a year and a half and I have almost 400 pages and I am very close to having all my pages written. I'm going on a writer's retreat in September. I'm very grateful for I'm being shuttled up to the woods for 10 days to start editing this bad boy. So, wow. Yeah, things wow. things there will be a book. You know, you're talking about that hike where you didn't have access to your phone. And the first thing that occurred to me is is how important boredom actually is for the imagination. Um, I remember reading that uh, Neil Gaiman has like this little shack by the by the water that he writes at. And uh, when he goes, he doesn't take his phone. He makes himself two promises. He can do one of two things. He can write or he can look at the water. And those are the only two things that he can do. And that kind of boredom frees up the mind, which is almost always occupied by, I don't know, TikTok is really alluring um, and uh, takes up a lot of time, uh, frees up the mind for, for like everything, like the imagination and, 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 and clear space. 
Um, was that, did that hit you like a ton of bricks while you were on that hike? How much space the phone takes up? It was, it's something I still say to people. It's so like it, it was walking. It was walking. I walked for seven days, which is bananas. Um, but I do 10 out of 10 recommend, but I think the biggest thing was just how all I focused on was surviving, like feeding myself, setting up the tent, taking down the tent, walking 25K, feeding myself, taking that like, and then all this extra space where I could just think and wonder. And yeah, it's revolutionary to spend a bunch of time without your telephone. And also you then realize when you come back to it, immediately when I turned it on, I just felt so much anxiety. And I was like, oh, that's that's very good to clock. Interesting. Yeah, just people needing you or, mm. or wanting you and your response to that. And yeah, I can't recommend enough. Like just this past family day weekend, I put my phone on airplane mode for the whole weekend. Mm. I told my mom, I told my boss, and I was like, and I told my best friend, I was like, Anyone else can wait three days. I just need three days to to get bored again, to like yeah. let the brain go. And I wrote a ton that week. Nice. Well, nice. Yeah. Speaking of writing, Kathleen, um, you know, you you were a, your co-writer on Samka. And uh, I know how much you like to get involved in like all aspects of his show. But you're currently working on 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 a new a new project called Bluebeard's Wives. I don't know if we talked about that last time, but I'm curious if we did where you're at with it and give a little, uh, what do you, what's the, what's this, what's this little piece about? Yeah. Um, well, just going off of what Lindsay just said, uh, it's amazing how hard it is to write and do things when you're so busy. Um, so I, I know the last, I can't remember. I might've just been thinking about the idea the last time that we talked, but I don't think I would have written anything for it yet. Um, but yeah, like Samka was written in the heart of the pandemic and partially because of that, because of all this sort of free time. And I certainly would have been distracted with my phone at certain times, but I know I, I went to like my cottage and I wrote a ton there and it's just that kind of space away from work and like a whole bunch of other responsibilities made it so I was, was able both me and Natalia were able to write that play was kind of because of the pandemic. So something I'm noticing, I'm still, I'm very excited about the projects that I'm working on, Bluebeard's Wives, which is, is with, um, would be with Spindle Collective, um, which is Natalia. It's more folk horror again, and I would be, I'm writing some music for it. I've written very little music so far. Uh, but yes, it's it's been a slower process than I hope. Um I've, I've still made a lot of progress in it, but it's just trying to go, okay, well, you can't do everything. You are working and you are directing a show. And when when I can write and I get that time or, again, I find it a lot easier. I cannot seem to write in my own house very well. In my own home, I am distracted by everything and I can't get any writing done. So I have to get out and be at a bar or a cafe. But best of all, if I can get like out of the city... So actually, me and Lindsay were talking about that uh, writer's retreat because I was like, oh, I got to kind of apply for things like that because I just think it's so much easier to just get some space from your life. Um, even when you think you're not in a really stressful time, there are sort of constant demands of 
emails you need to respond to and things in your work, your friendship and your artistic stuff that are always getting in the way. So I am excited about this new project and I have quite a bit written, um, but I'm sort of not being too hard on myself and how much I can feasibly get done working all the time and directing shows and doing various things. Uh, yeah. Are there, for this is for either of you, are there tricks that you've come up with as far as like um, when you are doing all of these things to find time to write in a day? Or is it just not possible sometimes to to do, like find that time to, to, to write something? I think for myself, I sometimes I can go, okay, I'm going to plan. I know I have this day off. Um, I know I did it on my birthday last year. I was like, on your birthday, I'm not working. I'm going to a cafe and I'm getting fancy little drinks and I'm writing all day. Um, so sometimes it can work when like I know that I have some time off. Other times I think I can't force it too much because you want you might want to and be like, oh, I have this evening off. I could go right. But you're actually kind of burnt out. And without that space in front of it, sometimes it's just going, I really feel like writing go and do it now then when I get this impulse. I am a morning writer and it's, it's, I do think it is because I went to Mexico and I basically was like, I don't know anyone. I now live in this apartment. What I really got to know myself and like what I want to do. And I have the most energy in the morning and the, clearest because your phone has yet to buzz a thousand times so I just kind of established this routine where I would wake up and I would just go right in a cafe and that was kind of how I would start my day and then once I came home I was like oh hey life why forgot about you and so now I just try I try so hard to get up very early and before again the phone is buzzing and things are happening I sit in the chair right beside me with my windows and phone on airplane mode or do not disturb and I just try and write I try every day it does not happen but if I kind of hold myself to this appointment or this date with myself and even if it's just me reading old journals and just sitting there it's this idea of like no I, I have an appointment like I need to show up for it I'm investing time in this Time is money. Like I am investing to be here right now in in my own art, which has been a journey. Um, I think it wasn't until my 30s where I was like, oh, what do I want to do as an artist? Like I'm so keen to jump on other people's things and support it and be a part of it. But it wasn't until the pandemic when I was like, hey, who am I just as a single person? And what's my voice and what's my art and what's important to me? And this book has been one like big exciting thing for me in that so yeah that's kind of my my practice i'm a very disciplined human in general i am very impressed <laughs> Lindsay. i want to Wait, definitely not that i definitely want to come back to to that lesson that you learned about about who you are and what you want to be as an artist two things that i wanted to say was um about how you know you could sit you make that appointment you could sit and you're staring at the page or the computer and as long as you that's your concentration I consider that that's that success, whether you wrote and or whether you wrote a whole bunch, um, you were there and the brain was focused on it. That's I think that's a triumph for sure. It's like what you're saying about um, going to the cottage without your phone and either looking at the water or writing. It's kind of that thing of I look at the page and I also get bored within seconds. So it's kind of like, 
okay, I'm like, now let's just type. Like now I'm, I'm looking at the page. Yeah. Um, I, the other thing I want to point out is that when you said that, that you wake up early in the morning and that's when you're at your most, at your most clear, Kathleen had the most visceral physical reaction to that. And it's yeah. the, I, I assume Kathleen that you are not a morning person. I am not a morning person at all. I am very much a late night person. If I didn't have to get up in the morning, I never would. And that's what I discovered during the pandemic as well. I um, At that time, I, I lived with Brendan, our producer, and we both went into our natural schedules. And Brendan's, it meant that we each had like six hours to ourselves in the apartment because Brendan would wake up at like 6 a.m. and do yoga and like have his whole morning. And then I would get up at noon and then we might hang out sometimes. We could watch a movie in the evening. He'd go to bed at like 10 and I'd go to bed at four. And that was how we settled in. So I can't maintain that fully because I do have things that I have to do in the morning. But my creative brain is nighttime. And like, it takes me a while to wake up. So I can do some afternoon writing in a cafe. But I'm a bar writer. I like night. Nice. And I tend to compose music at night too, which is problematic depending on who you're living with. And <laughs> But uh yeah, nighttime is like, oh, yes, I'm so energetic. Even if I was like sleepy during the evening, 9 p.m. hits and I'm up and I'm <laughs> thinking about so many different things. So not not like Lindsay in that. I'm definitely <laughs> also I'm not disciplined either. I'm erratic. <laughs> I, 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 I mean, I get that. I am disciplined enough to have like writing scheduled in my in my uh, in my calendar each day. Um but what I write that day, that's all over the place because I have like three projects that I work on at any given time. So I just sort of like cycle through them. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, Lindsay, I want to talk about this this discovery because I think it's an important discovery that you had during the during the pandemic about about what you want to be, who you want to be as an artist and that sort of thing. I think it's something that we that artists often don't think about, especially in this industry, which is sort of like following the project from one project to the next. Um, what, what do you remember the spark of that decision? And, and, and what did you learn about yourself as an artist? Hmm. I feel like the spark. Hmm. Well, I think it came out of writing, which I always wrote a lot as a kid, but then it was as soon as I kind of went to undergrad and I think also Cedar School sometimes has this effect on you to put you where you're supposed to be. Um, I think I I then never wrote. I would like co-create with some people here and there, write bits of plays for things, but nothing really with my own name on it for a long time. Uh, so yeah, having the time to sit with that and be like, okay, what do I want to make? And I think it's a lot of like lifting people up, which probably comes out of the pandemics. Like the book is half tales of the road, but also like these are the mistakes I made. Do it better than me. And also just please go do it because I think it's valuable. I'm working on a TV show right now. And the overall message of that is like pick yourself up, figure out what makes you happy and keep your people close to you, which is also just life lessons that I've learns like you are only as good as the people you surround yourself with but sometimes you're only by yourself and I'd spent most of the pandemic alone in my apartment alone 
And then I decided to go be alone more in Mexico and South America for seven months. And what I realized, and this is a big theme in the book, is like I had a dope time by myself. And I had moments where I was lonely. Of course I did. And I felt what loneliness felt like. And that was fine because I had myself to hang out with and I can have a really good time with myself. And I think I also learned that out of the pandemic because I never was alone Mm. before that time. Interesting. Um, You know, one of the things that comes up in one of my other podcasts is about how people who are performers are probably about 60 to 70 percent of them are actually introverts, which is the thing that people don't often think about. Um, now, as somebody who spent that much time with themselves, did you discover some introversion about yourself or did you were you did you consider yourself an introvert or where did you think that you sat on that spectrum? Yeah, I think I've learned that I really do enjoy time by myself and I enjoy also hanging out with myself. Like, I think I'm funny. Like, I like having a dance party with myself. Um, I like the stuff I write. I like the work I create. So I think having time to be by myself was exciting. Whether I'm an introvert or not, I don't know. I just spent the last five weeks traveling. And I also have come back to the city. I just got my apartment back the other day because I had a sublet in it. And on, I think it was last night or the night before, I had my first five hours by myself alone in my friend's apartment in five weeks. So I don't know if I'm an introvert. Wow. Okay. Okay. And like, I like being around people. They excite me. I always think you can learn anything from anyone. I'm just like a curious, like information suck on humans. So, but then I think the alone time is important because then you get to let it digest and like sit with it and be what you've learned and what you decide to take and get rid of and all those things. Sounds like you're sitting right in the middle in that ambivert spot where you're sort of like going back and forth depending on what you need yeah 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 um i definitely go back and forth sorry oh no go ahead please i want to i want to hear well, about just i definitely go back and forth as well but like traveling alone is is so i and i think being alone in that way is such a like decompressing thing the first time i traveled by myself i expected to be stressed being like oh you only have yourself and it'll be stressful if something goes wrong and I discovered the opposite was true. When I'm around other people and something goes wrong, I'm like, I have to fix this. I have to make sure everyone's having an okay time. Yep. And I was by myself and, you know, I'm in Greece and I have to walk for eight kilometers at six in the morning because I ended up in the wrong port. And then I'm fine because I'm like, it doesn't matter how long it takes me. It's only me. I can take whatever pauses I need to. Um, yeah. So I think I find it very relaxing being by myself. And like, like you're saying, the like creating work by yourself there's something really beautiful about that while wanting to create work with other people but I think that in terms of writing I didn't do much writing again as a kid I did more writing pandemic happened ended up doing more writing and being a co-writer with my friend Natalia allowed me to then after that go oh you can do this and it gave me like this sort of great confidence to go you can write a play where everything else I would like start something and be like, no, no, that's shitty. It's not good. Like I shouldn't keep going with it. Um, so yeah, I think working with other people can help like give you that confidence to figure out what it is by yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's something about you're right. Absolutely right about the the traveling by yourself. I've, I've, I've 
you you want to travel either with somebody who's super compatible with the way that you want to travel um, or by yourself. And uh, I, I've, I've done both and also not. Um, I, I have a friend who uh, traveled with some friends and they were they were all like, hey, we'll all go out and we'll do our own thing. And then we'll get back together at the end of the day and we could tell each other about what we saw. And they were like, not a chance. No, one of you has to come with me because they could not fathom going and, and traveling and, and seeing things alone. They needed somebody else uh, in order to to, 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 to to sort of see things and, and, and react to them with. Um, but the, the idea of, 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 of creating by yourself that voice that you're talking about, I think it's the, it's the biggest challenge, the voice of, of criticism. The inner critic is probably the, 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 the worst thing that anybody has to combat because for me, it, it starts to set in around the time when the writing gets hard. You know, you have the initial period of the writing and it's really easy. And then as soon as it gets hard, that's when the inner critic comes in. You really do need those other people. Um, Kathleen, for you, who who are the people that you've gone to with with writing to to be like, um, is this garbage or is it good? What, who do you who do you take that to? Yeah, um, no, that's an interesting in in writing, certainly in a big thing me and Natalia talked about when we wrote Samka was the biggest part for us was we could write different stuff and we had our script and it was in our Google Drive. And then we'd get together and we'd read it and we'd just compliment each other. And it seemed ridiculous, but it allowed us to be like, oh, we'll just keep writing. And we didn't do any sort of editing in it really until way later. And everything we wrote, we were just like, that's amazing. That's so good. Oh, you just brought this story in a whole different place. And that was so, and I think it depends on who you are. But for both of us, that was like super important because you automatically doubt yourself. And I was genuinely impressed with anything she wrote. And I, it wasn't a lie, but it was important to go in with that kind of positivity. Then we had such strong confidence later when it came time to go, oh, well, we can now we can look at this and we know this is great. And we're saying that to each other and then we can edit there. But I think going in with that positivity because the doubt is going to come in anyways and i think that applies for acting and and directing things like that like being in a room with people and you know hearing hearing our cast read things out and i know as an actor i can feel self-conscious and not think that i was right but but i'm so impressed listening to everyone and i know that that helps right because everyone around each other is so fascinated by the things they have to say and the way that they're performing it that it it just helps the group. That 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 the complimenting each other is that something you guys decided on, or did it just come naturally to you both? <laughs> it came naturally. Um, well, kind of because uh, because we were, you know, we started as friends before we wrote anything together. That idea of how you pump up your friend, being like, "Oh my God, you look so beautiful!" It's the same kind of thing. You're you're just pumping up your friend, and it's not a lie it's just you see the beautiful things that are harder to see in yourself and then when we realized it made it that it took the pressure off it made it made it that it wasn't like oh each time I write something new like you hand it in for an assignment for your teacher and you'll get feedback instead it was like a fun thing of going I'm so excited to share with you the thing I've created and I think that was and I do generally I think that that's a really great way to generate more art and more content and not worry about it and not be constantly editing yourself at the beginning. 
Absolutely. Because the fear of having somebody else see what you've written, especially when it's in a draft form, it's so raw and new. It's terrifying to to like shine the light of somebody else's opinion on it. So uh, you definitely need um, somebody to say, no, 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 it's good. It's good. Um, just as we start to draw to a close, I want to come back to the play. I want to come back to suddenly last summer. Um, and I'm curious um, for each of you, as you've been working on this, um, have there been, because I, I admit to not knowing a lot of Tennessee Williams stuff, um, except for, you know, the big ones, the ones that everybody sort of knows of. Um, are there things that you've discovered so far, surprises that have come out of uh, of the rehearsal process or even the research that, that you didn't expect to discover about this kind of creepy play? Um, what have I discovered? I think that my biggest discovery with this character is the depth of the trauma. Like, I, you know, you give it your first read for, and then you start reading it again and kind of looking for all these different things. Then you start memorizing lines and then you get into the room. And I just, it's very interesting to play someone and see someone that has just gone through so much. And and then as a writer, I know this character is very much influenced by Tennessee Williams' sister in real life. Um, he was like quite, he was always pulling on themes. And the mother, like I was doing some research earlier today and I was like, I just learned another new fun fact. Like, and I know I write from a place sometimes, depending on what it is, of needing to get something out. And I think this show actually was such a place of pain in his life and needing to just get a lot of his own trauma out. And I think a lot of that lives in this character, <laughs> which is very challenging to play. Um, I think that's been my biggest. And also then, like, we worked on a scene last night and I was laughing hysterically, like, just the beautiful comedy moments because he's such a great writer that he's laid there for the audience like because you need levity in that much trauma you just do as a human being and I was just like wow you're so smart sir you're just so smart like you know what you're doing thank you for these beautiful words we get to play with nice how about you Kathleen yeah uh this I, I feel like the structure of the play is something that's sort of been sort of just we've been sort of discovering together and it's kind of an odd structure in the in the idea that so there are main characters in it but all of this sort of action that has happened is sort of already happened in the past and it's a discovery of what would be a cli absolute climactic moment happens before the play begins and it's the recounting of these horrible things that are trying to be kept down and I think for me a big discovery is is just this so the character who this play is sort of about is dead before the play begins. And you know that early on, but the discovery of him and the sort of absence of this main character that is so instrumental in all of these people's lives, that's, that's been a big discovery for me because it, it feels like an absence and it kind of plays into the really 
disjointed feeling of this group of people that would have kind of revolved around someone who is now gone. Um, so that's been just a kind of fun discovery in talking to the cast when we're reading through things and and how the scenes play out. And like last night specifically, we we got to this more the ending scene and what has been a couple characters on stage, a couple characters on stage, different ones, and then they all are on stage and how unsettling and how an, uh, how uncomfortable a group of people they are and how they do not work at all. So it's it's very weird. And so just discovering the feeling of this play because to me, structurally, it doesn't really resemble like any other play that I've read. <laughs> Wow, that's great. No, that's great. Thank you both. Um, so, Sun Last Summer at Sorry Studios on Elm Grove Avenue from August 9th to 13th. Yes? Yes. Perfect. Parkdale, come on down. All tickets are $20. Mm-hmm. We'll be selling drinks. You can stay afterwards on our opening night for a garden party. And where should, where would people go to get tickets? Okay, people can find tickets at rideking.com slash suddenly last summer. Thank you so much. Kathleen, Lindsay, thank you for joining me this evening. I really appreciate it. And I can't wait to see this show. Yeah, thanks so much for having us, Phil. So nice to see you. It was wonderful. This has been an episode of Stageworthy. Stageworthy is produced, hosted, and edited by Phil Rickaby. That's me. If you enjoyed this podcast and you listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, you can leave a five-star rating. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, you can also leave a review. Those reviews and ratings help new people find the show. If you want to keep up with what's going on with Stageworthy and my other projects, you can subscribe to my newsletter by going to philrickaby.com slash subscribe. And remember, if you want to leave a tip, you'll find a link to the virtual tip jar in the show notes or on the website. You can find Stageworthy on Twitter and Instagram at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website with the complete archive of all episodes at stageworthy.ca. If you want to find me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Phil Rickaby. And as I mentioned, my website is philrickaby.com. See you next week for another episode of Stageworthy. Stageworthy.